Pastor Adam Lavecki here. This is a sermon live from Rescue Church. We hope it blesses you. I want to continue today our series on restoration. And last week, the name of the word was Restore. And today, I also want to talk about Restored. And so, the heart of God is that His people would be well. Jesus devoted a lot of his time in his ministry to healing the sick, casting out demons, uh, explaining and demonstrating the scriptures so, to his disciples so that they could see through a biblical lens, a, a Christological, Christ-centered uh, lens. He reshaped and reformed Israel around himself, the true king um, of Israel. So this is, a, this is a very, very important thing because here's, here's the thing, whether we acknowledge it or not, we don't really see things as they are. We see things as we are. And so if everything that you look at is broken, it's probably because you're broken. I don't know if you've ever had a cracked windshield. It's very frustrating if you're looking through a cracked windshield because it's, you have something impairing your vision. Another thing that happens too is that when, when people, for example, don't deal with their internal issues. Let, let's say, for example, uh, you, you got a sin problem, right? Or you have confusion in your life because you have unresolved conflict. Or you have shame in your life because you have unconfessed sin. Or you have bondage in your life because you have unforgiveness in your heart because people really hurt you but aren't really sorry about it. And so you, you're living with like a fog on the inside. So I don't know if you've ever driven, you're driving and it's raining, it's hot and cold and hot and cold and the whole windshield is totally fogged up. You can hardly see because of this fog. Many people, I'm giving you a metaphor, many people live with an unnecessary fog on the inside of them when all they have to do is press a little button. Boop! And it and And 30 seconds later, you can see all of a sudden. And so we have to give the Lord permission and access to defrost and, un, and you know, clear up this stuff because there's a lot of people that live with clutter on the inside, unforgiveness, bitterness, anger, all these things. And what happens is a little bit of pressure put, is, get, is put on them and then that venom and that poison comes out and then that creates more mis and distrust with people. And so then the people that could help them now don't want to help them and aren't invested in helping them because of this thing on the inside of them. And so it really is what, what it does is it creates basically a system in your own life where you could be isolated in a crowd and it doesn't allow you to get free until you give the Lord permission and you ask the Lord, God, bring healing to my life. And we're talking about, what are we talking about? We're talking about the soul. What is the soul? The soul is the mind, the will, good morning, and the emotions. And so this is, this is something that is critical because everything that we experience in this life gets filtered through where? The soul, right? The mind, the will, and the emotions. So if that's broken or damaged, or leaking, or cracked, you, you, you get the point. Everything that we experience is through that. So that means that there's beautiful things in your life now, right now, that if, if brokenness is what is marking your life, you, you can miss the beauty 
of what is right in front of you because of the brokenness that is inside of you. How do I know? I've been there. So this is, I'm not saying this in a way of judgment. I'm saying this in the spirit of extending a hand, not pointing a finger, because the Lord wants us to be free. It was for freedom that Christ set us free. And so this, is, this, this principle of the, the renewing of the mind, or the converting of the soul, or the transformation of the life, these are all biblical principles that go all the way through from the Old Testament to the New Testament because this is a priority of God in the life of his people. Like the soul is, is to be sanctified, is to be saved. This is a huge priority. I know that in the world, the priority is out here. What are you doing? What do you have? Where do you drive? Where do you live? I know that that's the priority system of the world, that which is seen. You see it when you go into a gym. The world says this. Body, soul, and spirit. The priority of the kingdom is the total opposite, spirit, soul, and body. So, so the, the order of it is reversed. In the world, everything is about the outward appearance. You can, you, you find, if, you, if you find how much money people spend on makeup, you would be shocked. And I'm not against makeup. I'm, I'm just simply saying that the, the priorities of God are different than the priorities of the world. So if we're going to flow with God and we're going to be participatory in what God wants to do in our life and through our life, right? We're going to have to align ourselves with his priorities and you're going to have to get healed and you're going to have to get healthy. And here's why. People are depending on you. You owe the world an encounter with Jesus. I don't know if you realize that. But, but people like are actually depending on you. <laughs> there's people, I know, no pressure. There's people that will or won't encounter Jesus based on your obedience. You, people, you don't really, this is, a, this is like, a, a, like a really serious thing. Like your faithfulness to the Lord will bring people into the kingdom of heaven forever. Or your unfaithfulness will give people a reason to say, I'm not really sure about all that because of him or because of her or because of that. And I'm not talking about false accusations. I'm talking about real life. Because the enemy makes all types of false accusations that are untrue and mean nothing. That's very different than here's actually how I'm really living. That, that's, a, that's a whole different story. So I'm trying to, to say that for your well-being, this is critical. But also in the context of the world around us, this is critical. This is mission critical. That we get healed and get healthy. This is really, really, really important. I can't stress to you how important it is and God wants to finish the work that he began in you so God started a work and God wants to finish the work but you have to sit in the chair for example let's say Joseph is giving me a shape up and I got to get up I got to go to the bathroom I got to move uh, you know I got like crack shakes I'm like he hits my hair I'm like shaking it's you have to understand what I'm what am I why am I saying this because if God is doing something, but you're always moving, you're always wiggling on him, it, it's not God's fault that the shape up is messed up. We have to learn sometimes to simply sit still and embrace the discomfort and the pain that it takes to actually deal with things in your life. It's easy to run. It's easy. They offended me, I'm leaving. But you're stuck with you. She offended me, I'm leaving. You're stuck with you. 
What is more difficult is say, why are you so easily offended? So, so why, so, but instead of dealing with why I'm so easily offended, I just leave. And then I leave a trail of brokenness with me. You know, this is, this is, this is the thing that many times it happens in the marketplace. Or you have people on two, three, four marriages because they refuse, not because they're bad people, simply because they refuse to get healing and to allow the Lord to deal with something that is within them that if they don't deal with it, it'll, it will deal with them. So anything that I don't deal with will deal with me. So whatever I don't confront controls me. So whatever I, I refuse to acknowledge that is wrong in my life has permission to stay there, but it won't just stay there, it'll bear fruit. And that fruit will repel people who want to help me and can help me. <laughs> you get what I'm trying to say? Yeah, so now John chapter 5. Now, this is the first word. Watch this. The first word is after. 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 You know what that word in Greek is? Meta. <laughs> Meta. <laughs> that is this Roshan, I'll let you handle that. Hold on to that for me. Meta. After. This, there was a feast of the Jews, and Jesus went up to Jerusalem. Now, let me, I want to tell you something. This is really important. Can I say something to you? It's so difficult for us if we do not understand the Old Testament. Here's why. Because there's biblical principles from the Old Testament that are essential for discipleship in the New Testament. There's principles that the Lord has laid out because God was discipling a nation who wouldn't be discipled. But there's principles there for discipleship that are essential for a family to start to think like a nation. See, we have this nice family vibe. It's cute. It's, it's okay. But for us to grow, we're going to have to grow into the mentality of a nation while remaining a family. It's a major challenge. Either you have people that are organizational or all family, and neither one of those works, really. It actually takes a cross-merging of the two. The temptation is to always be an organization or this sloppy, dysfunctional family, and neither one of those are healthy. <laughs> now, listen to this in Deuteronomy 16. This is something, I want to encourage you one thing. With, with, with this, I want to give you just a free, a free bit of advice. This is just me talking. This is not the Lord. Children do not accept excuses. Like, <laughs> this is free. For those of you who don't have children yet, if you make an excuse to your child, deep inside their little mind, they're like six, eight, five, whatever, it doesn't resonate with them. They don't get it. They go, but you said. Like, the sky could fall, and they're like, well, that's okay, but you said. And... With God, there's another person that excuses don't fly with. God. You, you may, excuses don't excuse you. When I stand before God, he's not going to be like, oh, okay, yeah, that's cool. I get it. He's going to be like, no, no, no. This is what I told you to do. This is what faithfulness looks like. It looks like my son Jesus. That was what I was trying to produce in your life. But you, you are not participatory 
and you didn't want healing. You wanted to do your thing. And deep inside, you wanted me to bless what you were doing, not submit your life to what I'm doing. And that is the life of many Christians. That's why many Christians are frustrated and their prayer life is not vibrant and they're not excited about praying because their prayer life is trying to twist God's arm to do what they want. How do I know? <laughs> I learn everything <laughs> the hard way. Now, let me give you something. This is Deuteronomy 16 because Jesus is going up to celebrate one of the feasts. Now, the Bible doesn't tell us which feast because it's not important. To us, it's important. And all the smart people whose commentaries I was reading this week, they all have their ideas. But when the Bible leaves something out, it's because it wants to and it's not significant. But I want to show you something in Deuteronomy 16, 16. Three times a year, all your males shall appear before the Lord your God in the place which he chooses at the Feast of Unleavened Bread, at the Feast of Weeks, which is Pentecost, uh, and the Feast of Tabernacles, which is God, when God comes to dwell among his people. This is, so the cross is, it was Passover, you know, the unleavened bread, that whole cross and resurrection. And then the Feast of Weeks is Pentecost fulfilled. And when the Lord comes again, it'll be the fulfillment of the Feast of Tabernacles. So anyway... And they shall not appear before the Lord empty-handed. Every man shall give as he is able, according to the blessing of the Lord, your God, which he has given you. So there's three things. All the males shall appear before the Lord. Number one. Well, uh, you know, I'm just really busy. I'm just really tied up in my career. Can I tell you something? God doesn't care. All the males shall appear before him three times a year. Why? If you have weak men, you have a weak nation. If men are not willing to stand up and to trust God and to put God first, you will have a weak nation, which is happening in our culture. They want to feminize men. They want you weak, addicted, on pills, Planet Fitness, dumbbells don't even go past 100. If you actually do some training in there, the thing will boom on you and they'll throw you out. They want you weak, addicted, entertained, preoccupied, anxious, stressed out. That's what they want. That's what the world wants. Why? Because the world can control people like that. Amen. That's the opposite of the kingdom. God wants you strong, healthy, blessed, and self-controlled. Not like an animal, but self-controlled. And the world does everything it can to break you to make sure that you have no resolve and no self-control. Three times a year, your men shall appear before me. Well, Jesus, I'm busy. Three times a year, your men shall appear before me. There's a principle there that if the men don't stand up, you're going to have a nation that goes into exile. 
What happened with David? David came to Ziklag. Remember that day? That was the day that David wept until he had no more strength in him. This is a guy that killed lions and bears and giants and took the whole entire promised land. Not someone who was scared or shook. A man of war since he was young. Someone who's so, who was so about it that was fighting when nobody was with him. You know someone is crazy when they fight by themselves. They're crazy. Someone like that is unchained. They don't need six friends. They're by themselves, and he'll kill a lion or a bear with no help. He'll stand against a giant when everyone else is afraid. So just remember who we're talking about, David. David goes to Ziklag, and the women and the children were taken captive from the city. Do you remember that? And David inquired of the Lord. He took the priest's breastplate. Remember the priest's breastplate has the 12 stones of the 12 tribes? Because if you're a leader, you have to bear the people on your heart. Even though the people don't care about you, you have to care about them. They'll curse you. You bless them. So the, the leaders, his guys that were once indebted nobodies, now that they're with him, they want to kill him. And they're mad because they lost their wife and their children. But so did he. So the people that are supposed to stand with him are not even for him. See, fear will make you forget what you already know. Fear will cause you to turn on someone that loves you. So now David goes, oh man, uh, I lost. He, David lost. He didn't lose one wife. He lost two wives. That's a bad day. <laughs> it's like, I didn't lose one wife. I lost two wives today. That's a really situation you got on your hands. You're really not having no dinner tonight. <laughs> no sex and no dinner, pal. You got, <laughs> I mean, sorry. And, uh, <laughs> like, my bad. Uh, you know, and, and so it says that he wept until he had no more strength in him. He inquired of the Lord. The Lord gave him direction. And he went and recovered all. But the principle there is that when men were not in their place, the women and children were taken captive. That's the point. When a man doesn't occupy his space... The enemy can come in and invade and take what is not rightfully his. That's what you see in the church of Ephesus and Acts. When Paul is there, there's apostolic authority. Wolves cannot come in because Paul is there. When Paul leaves, he says to the elders, devouring wolves are going to come in and devour the flock because in the absence of apostolic authority, wolves can operate. So the principle there is that when the authority figure is not in his place and is not in his position, the enemy can steal. Three times a year, all your men shall appear before me, which is a choice to trust God and to honor God. This is a very, very important principle because if you don't take this principle into the new covenant and the new testament, you will believe that your career is first because that's how you provide for your family and you haven't understood that you are not the provider. When men are doing good, they're the provider. <laughs> when you are not doing good and you're on the floor crying out to God, you're not the provider. All of a sudden, we know how to pray. <laughs> All of a sudden, we know how to cry out. 
But if you don't, if you don't learn this, this will be something that is, is you'll learn the hard way. Whatever you don't learn the easy way, you'll learn the hard way. So your mail shall appear before me three times a year. There's a principle there in learning to celebrate the seasons of God in learning to remember the faithfulness of God, in looking at the past correctly, it helps to position you for the future. If I look at the past and I see my craziness, I'm going to feel regret, bitterness, anxiety, all these things. If I look at my past and I see the mercy of God, I'm going to be thankful, which is going to affect how I view the future. So I can look at the same period of time and the same circumstances through a different lens and it will change how I feel. Come on, amen. So God wanted to keep in the mind of his people that I am a faithful God, that I delivered you. That I am a God of abundance. You have time to feast. Many people don't have time to feast. And you do, but you don't because you don't believe it. The same way that God is obligated to pay for his work, he's obligated to pay for my rest. If he wants me to last, why wouldn't he? So you think corporate America is better than God then? Because they'll give you two weeks off. Paid vacation. But God won't take care of you, so who is it that you trust? See, eventually we'll have to be honest about who and what we trust in. I just pray that that happens before a shaking. So your males shall not appear before me empty-handed. So this is a very important principle. You don't come to God empty-handed. The other day I was in the city, I was in Brazil, and I was going to see my friend. He's a man of God, and it was his birthday. And I said, I didn't come to the man of God empty-handed. I came bearing a gift. That's how we grew up. Generosity is a part of the culture of the kingdom. You don't come empty-handed. It doesn't matter if it's $3 or $3 million. You don't come empty-handed. So this is an important principle. Don't worry, we're not taking a big offering today. People start sweating and stuff. No, 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 that's not what this is about. This is about a principle that is essential for discipleship because a family is only as strong as the man and a church is only as strong as the families, and a nation is only as strong as the collective of the families. So what you see in the breakdown of America is you see the breakdown of the family, which is the breakdown of the country. When you look at America and you look at statistics, statistics are, are, are staggering. The, the, the family, for example, the black family in America is more broken now in freedom than it was in segregation. The family unit has been more dismembered and dismantled, which unleashes chaos on the children. The sexualization of children, the, the taking all of the jobs and doing them overseas so that you can exploit foreign people that don't have a name or a face. This is, this, this is hurting the nation. But at the root problem, it's men. At the root problem of abortion, it's men. And at the root problem of prostitution, is there's a demand that's men. Men, that's the problem. That's the root problem, just so you know. 
Now, it's obviously the enemy, but the enemy goes to the man to break down the man so the family is dysfunctional. This is a big, big problem. So now, there's three feasts here that he's speaking of. The feast of unleavened bread. Unleavened bread is directly after Passover. So what's the message? That Jesus is the lamb slain and he removes sin. Right? Okay. Then after that is the harvest. It is the festival of weeks, which is where we have eventually Pentecost, which is where the Spirit of God comes on the church, which produces a harvest. And then you have tabernacles when the Lord returns. That's, that's the, the fullness of that feast. So these feasts are all looking back and looking forward. I don't know if, you, if you're seeing that. So I'm, I am remembering the faithfulness of God because I was a slave in Egypt. I was a slave to sin. I was a slave to my own lusts and desires. Pick whatever you were a slave to. We were slaves to that. Jesus came, boom. Jesus rescued us, boom. He removed the power and the grip of sin. So now I can sin, but I don't find pleasure in sinning. Amen. There was a time, I don't know about you, but I liked it. I felt good. I was happy. I was a happy sinner. And, uh, and I liked it, but if I do something now, I will feel really bad. I will not get any satisfaction of something that is not good. None. It'll be really not, not good. That's how you know the Lord is there. The Lord is with you. You may not be living perfect, feeling great, but you don't get satisfaction of sin. That's probably the presence of the Holy Spirit in your life saying, come on, let's get out of here. Let's move forward in the kingdom. So anyway, Jesus is going up to celebrate one of these feasts. And the story, that's the backdrop of the story. So I'm saying that to you to say people who don't understand Scripture say things like Jesus broke the law. Jesus did not break the law. Jesus fulfilled the law and he broke people's misinterpretations of the law. <laughs> it's like if Jesus broke the law, that means that he sinned. That means we're screwed. We really did you got to get out of here. We got to do something else because if Jesus isn't our model, if Jesus isn't our savior, if Jesus isn't our Lord, then we're out. I'm out of here. <laughs> this is the last Sunday you see me because I'm, I'm not. If this isn't about him, then really we got big trouble. So he is the savior. He lived a sinless life. And that's a very important thing. But what is Jesus? Jesus is a good Jew. Jesus is celebrating and remembering the feast because the feast testified to who? Him. Him. And he came not to represent himself, but to represent who? The Father. So all this stuff is about the Father. Jesus, is, his will is perfect, yet he surrendered it. Our will is not perfect. We don't want to surrender it. It's like, <laughs> so anyway, but here's what I've come to see. The more I learn to trust the Lord, the more it, it's easier to surrender to the Lord. It's hard to surrender to someone that you don't trust. Why would you? In fact, I don't think you should do that. But if you learn to trust the Lord, it becomes easy because you start to figure out, oh, wow, your way is better. 
Like really, in, in, in actuality, in reality, in time and space, your way is actually better. Okay, after these things, there was a feast of the Jews, and Jesus went up to Jerusalem. Now there is in Jerusalem by the sheep gate a pool, which in Hebrew is called Bethsaida, having five porches. In these lay a great multitude of sick people, blind, lame, and paralyzed, waiting for the moving of the water. For an angel went down at a certain time, Kairos, into the pool and stirred up the water, and whoever stepped in first after the stirring of the water was made well of whatever disease he had. So this is really important. I, I want to really say one thing to you, that heaven remembers the forgotten. This is a principle. Heaven remembers the forgotten. God always starts at the bottom. Amen. This is good news for us who, who are, <laughs> if you're from the top, that's not the greatest for you, you know. To quote the theologian, the locks, I'm from the bottom, Lord knows it's better on top. <laughs> but God starts at the bottom. In, in, in the, just in the previous chapter, Guess who Jesus goes to? The Samaritan woman who also has no name. And five husbands. And a lot of damage. And she's going to a well at a time where she's intentionally trying to avoid people. Avoidance means you're not healed. It means you're living with shame. And so Jesus goes to a neighborhood and to a person that others are avoiding. Isn't that something? That's the heart of God. That's good news for some of us. <laughs> some of you. So, so now let me give you a historical. Jesus is going by the sheep gate in Nehemiah 3.1. Who, who builds the sheep gate? El Shabib. You know who El Shabib is? The high priest. You remember that? No? Well, it's my job to remember that, so don't worry. El Shabib is the high priest who helped build the gate, the sheep gate, in Nehemiah's rebuilding project. You guys remember that? Nehemiah had favor from a pagan king to rebuild the wall of Jerusalem. That's stunning. That's like your oppressor's Praying for your therapy. Wow. <laughs> it's like, really? It's like, you know, you're, anyway. I'll give you, I don't want to do that. But, so this is, this is really something, now, this is the sheep gate. Guess what they sell at the sheep gate? Lambs for sacrifice. So this is all, by the way, Strategic. Some people have an idea of Jesus that Jesus is like a hippie vegan Whole Foods guy. And I want to say something to you that Jesus is not a hippie vegan guy who's spaced out on weed. 
Jesus is a Lord and the Savior and the Messiah, and he is very loving and all that, yes, but Jesus does not do anything, anything by accident. So that's very important, just so you know. I want to tell you that because sometimes we're like, oh, we just went with the flow. No, you were just unprepared, and there is no flow. That's different than going with Jesus' flow. It's very different. And people who understand what's going on can see that. So anyway, so he goes to the pool of Bethsaida. Now, there's so many uh, different ways to communicate the name of what this means. There was three of them, but I'm going to give you the two that were most dominant. Bethsaida is the house of mercy or the house of kindness. That's what this means. So now you have all these sick people. And guess, guess where they're at? Together. Birds of a feather flock together. So they're all together and they're all stuck. Now here's the beauty, here's the beauty of this. If I read this passage in the developing world, developing world people hear this passage through the lens of the man who has been stuck for 38 years. If I preach this message in America with people who are well-fed and have a lot, they think that they're Jesus bringing healing to people. If I preach this message in, in, a, in, a, in a ministry school where people are trying to give everything for the Lord, they see themselves as the disciples who are observing this, trying to understand what all this means. What's fascinating about this is that when, when something is preached, whether we acknowledge it or not, we read ourselves into or out of the story. I'm not saying that's an accurate translation or interpretation. I'm just saying that people hear things differently based upon their experiences. This is an important thing, whether we acknowledge it or don't acknowledge it or like it or don't like it. We live from three places, experience, desire, perception. God wants to move in and heal all that so that we can respond and live in freedom from the kingdom and for the kingdom instead of living from the bondage or the dysfunction that we received as children or the stuff that we did as adults or the stuff that was done to us. Wherever you may find yourself, it's imperative that we allow the Lord in to really bring healing so that we can experience things as they are not as simply we are. So this is, uh, this is really something. So anyway, the angel, is in, uh, the, new, the New American Standard says that it was an angel of the Lord, which means that it was an angel sent by God. Now this is interesting because in Jerusalem and in the temple, God no longer lives there. Do you remember when Zachariah, Zachariah he was ministering in the temple. Remember he was burning incense? You know, a priest can only do that once in his lifetime. That was a Kairos moment, a divine moment. That's why faithfulness leads to divine moments. That's why you cannot allow the mundane things in life to wear you out and wear you down. Not all of our life is exciting. Come on. That's very important. If you're not be faithful in the mundane, you will not be faithful and exciting. That's very important. Amen. So the Lord has to send an angel to minister and to speak to 
Zacchaeus, why? Because God doesn't live there anymore. It wasn't like God was speaking from the Shekinah glory behind the veil. Hey, Zach, here's my plan. God is not even living in his own temple. So now there's still heavenly activity around the city of God, around Jerusalem, around the temple, around the things of God, but God himself is not present. He's present in the sense of him being omniscient, yes, but he is not physically manifested, so he sends a representative or he sends an angel, and the angel stirs the waters at a certain time, not a chronos time, a kairos time, which is a divine moment in time. And whoever is first into the water is healed of any disease. So in this passage, we find that angels partner with heaven and help bring forth healing. It's really interesting. It's one of the only passages where you see that. And, and people have stretched this passage to mean whatever they want it to mean, and I'm not going to do that to you. But it just seems as if the Bible is telling us that there was an angel who stirred the water at an appointed time by God for humans who were completely forgotten, completely left out, completely down and out to get healed. This is showing you the heart of God in that God remembers the forgotten. You may, be, you may feel forgotten. You may feel left out, pushed to the side. But God remembers the forgotten. God is looking for the overlooked. Do you remember that? David is, is not even invited to, to, to dinner when Samuel comes over. And God is looking to the overlooked. So that's good news. Amen. If you're overlooked. So now, let's continue. When Jesus saw him lying there and knew he had already been in that condition a long time, Kronos, he said to him, do you want to be made, do you desire to be made well? Well, do you want to be well? Now, that seems as if it's a worthless question. This guy is sick 38 years. People in antiquity did not even always live 38 years. So this guy is sick longer than many people live. And so for Jesus to ask that question is not a wasted question. And here's why. Because when you accept something... Or when you experience something, for a long time, you begin to identify with it and come into agreement with it. And you learn how to build your life around it instead of working through it. Come on. Amen. Amen. This is, this, is, this is something that it's possible to lose hope and just say, you know, it is what it is. I'm from New Jersey. It is what it is. And, and that's what it is. But it doesn't have to be that way. So Jesus' question to him is not a worthless question. Do you want to be made well? And that's the question. Do you want to be made well? Yes, sir. Yes. I'm asking. I'm going to look at every one of you. Do you want to be well? Yes, 
oh, this is how I am. I'm always like that. Okay, but that's nice. Do you want to be made well? Thank you. Because I, 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 I hate to say it, but I want you to be well. It's like, sorry to say that, you know. It's like, I, I would prefer you're well. It's like, you know, people who are well can do stuff. You know, they can get stuff done. We can, you know, instead of like, you know, the nursery, like, we can, we can, <laughs> anyway, <laughs> okay. Do you want to be well? Okay, the sick man answered, sir, I have no man to put me into the pool when the water is stirred up, but while I am coming, another steps down before me. Do you want to be made well? And he pours out his disappointment. He pours out what I don't have, what I haven't had, and what hasn't happened. All right, but here, this is good, but this is all good. This is the best place to deal with all that. <laughs> Man, if you're going to take your crap to somebody, take it to Jesus. I mean, if you're going to really, because what happens is if you always complain to people, people don't like, they don't, they want to avoid you. When people see you calling, they're like, uh-oh. Er-er. I wouldn't even, I'm just going to tell you this to encourage you, I wouldn't even consider calling my pastor to complain. Not even after my mom died. I wouldn't even consider that. It's not even in my point of reference to do that. Get on your face. Get your journal out. Get yourself some tissues. Do some communion. You know, because... It's better to handle that with the Lord because if not, you put too much pressure on relationships and people, they're not, they didn't sign up for you to come and take a dump on their, you know, floor. No, I'm, I'm saying this to, to help you. I'm not saying this to be a jerk. I'm saying this because, because what happens is if I, I, can, I can be so dysfunctional that I can repel people who are ordained by God to help me. God used, I'll tell you what, God used someone in my life to help form me and to help prepare me for someone else in my life that if I wouldn't have received the forming through this person, I wouldn't have been able to receive what my pastor had for my life. I wouldn't have been able to receive it and I needed to receive from both of these men an impartation and God used one of them to really address things, to ruffle me up, to, to do things, to confront things, so that I could be ready to receive in the next season. Come on. See, God is always saying, now I have a relationship with people that is a result of me allowing God to deal with me. I'm saying this because I want you to have relational equity with people who can help you. That's what this guy is saying. This lame guy is stuck. You know why he's stuck? He has no one to help him. He has no one on his side. He has no one vested in his interests that will take him and drop him in the water at the right time. Nobody cares. Many times people are not just stuck 
because of themselves, they're stuck because they lack a relationship that will help them. Guess who comes by? Good news, Jesus. <laughs> Thank God, while we were broken down on the side of the road, all messed up and jacked up, Jesus comes, boom. When nobody cares and no one wants to help you and no one's going to pick you up and change your diapers, Jesus comes when we're all broken down and says, let me, let, let me help you. So Jesus says, do you want to be made well? And this guy says, I have no one to help me get well. You know that when you're, when you're not healthy, can I tell you something about someone who's not healthy? They cannot even answer questions correctly. They cannot even stick to the subject. He could not even respond and say, yes, I want to be made well. The first thing when someone addresses him that comes out of his mouth is pain. When you live with lack in your life on the inside, when you have been stuck, the first thing that pours out of your mouth is pain. And that disappointment, he had to get rid of that disappointment so he could receive expectation, so that he could receive hope, so that he could receive healing. Healing always starts with hope. I will not go to a doctor or a medical little clinic or whatever if I don't have some sort of hope that they can help me. Are, are you with me? So, so the, the basis or the foundation of healing in our life, whether it's the soul, the body, whether maybe it's a dysfunction in your life, uh, could be an economic situation. If I don't have hope that things can get better, I will not take the risk of hoping. And here's what I learned, because I'm not an expert at anything except disappointment. If someone says, what are you an expert in? I would say, just disappointment. People go, really? Yeah, I know a lot of stuff about different stuff. But I would say, if, if you're an expert at one thing, it will be disappointment. We say, why do you say that? Because you live your life and you, you are desiring a response or desiring an outcome. And that outcome many times is in the hands of people who literally don't care. But you do. <laughs> it's like, that's, that's majorly disappointing. It's like, the trainer cares more about the guy lifting than the guy. That's that's he's not gonna win <laughs> until you know, like you know, and, and so that's but that's a part of can I say this? That's a part of caring for and loving people. If you don't care more than they do, you can't help them. But if they don't start to care, they can't get help. So if they won't commit to the process of healing, there's nothing I can do for you. That's why only, only certain people, I can really help them. Some people, I cannot help them. I love them. God bless you. Oh, but I really cannot help you because for me to help you, I'm going to have to open up fire. People don't want that. People are hurt. Very rarely will someone say, oh, pastor, I want you to speak into my life or correct me if I'm wrong or tell me something. Very rarely. It's like very rarely Will someone say that? 
And you have to understand that I'm not making that about me. I'm saying that in general, many people are simply not willing to go through the process to be discipled, to get healed, and to become well. They're not. This is why you could have someone who, who is with you for 10 years or someone that is with you for one and a half years and someone who's with you for one and a half years can grow three times more than someone who's been with you for 10 years because they are still yet unwilling to go through the painful process called them. I have went through this painful process of inner healing like five times. I did Toronto version, Brownville version, I did all types of versions because I was messed up and I knew that. How do I know that? I live with myself. <laughs> so, but the good thing about, this is the thing that's so different about the world. The world is like, okay, just pretend you'll be okay, man. Just fake it till you make it. The, the kingdom is the opposite. It's like, man, Jesus, have mercy on me. I need help, dear Lord. And he, and he doesn't use that against you. He's not like, wow, that's, you know, you're really terrible. Yeah. He's like, oh, okay, son, daughter. Oh, you want to be honest? Oh, good. Yeah, now we can get to the root of that thing. Great. Instead of pretending, I'm okay. I'm not afraid. I'm all right. Oh, okay. Will you be made whole? Jesus said, rise. Take up your bed and walk. And immediately the man was made well, took up his bed and walked. And that day was the Sabbath. The Jews therefore said to him, who is cured? Is it not the Sabbath? Is it not lawful for you to carry your bed? Religion, this is a blinding thing of religion. This guy had been healed 30, he's been sick, 38 years long sick. And instead of rejoicing in that this guy got healed, they are bent out of shape that he's carrying a little straw mat. A, a, a bed in the ancient world, I slept on one in Japan. It's not, it's not really comfortable. It's all right if you have some chunk on your back. But it's still not comfortable. It's a little straw mat. So he, he takes this little mat, rolls it, you know, rolls it up, and he's walking with this thing. And they are preoccupied with him carrying a little straw mat instead of a dude who was sick and lame for 38 years. This is the thing with religion. Religion always sees what it perceives to be wrong instead of what is right. That's the spirit of religion. People listen with the spirit of religion to try to see if they can catch you saying something wrong instead of trying to hear something for them to get right. Religion is really a, 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 a dirty, filthy thing. It's the thing that wanted to crucify Jesus. Religion is really, I'm not talking about pure religion, which is to visit widows and orphans, which is to give with no strings attached, which is to love with no strings attached. But I'm talking about the, the, the religion, man-made stuff. You know that the Pharisees created 39 extra rules that were not in any way explicit in the scripture concerning the Sabbath. And Jesus addressed them. He addressed their satanic priority system because he says to them, oh, well, if you have an oxen and it falls in a ditch, are you not going to pick it up? They say, oh, yeah, of course. 
Okay, so you value your property more than a person. He addressed the satanic system in our culture, animals. Animals, 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 oh, animals, lose a person, animals. You kill an eagle, you go to jail, you abort your baby, they'll go, freedom! My body, my choice! This is satanic. It's a satanic value system. It's totally demonic. It values animals over people, freedom over responsibility, but that's not freedom. That's murder. So I'm saying this to say that he, this is the, the value system that Jesus is ministering through. People, they have these ideas, all these. And, and the thing about miracles is that miracles confront satanic ideas. Watch this. Let's look. Is it the Sabbath? Is it not lawful for you to carry your bed? He answered, he who made me well said to me, take up your bed and walk. Then he asked him, who is the man who said, take up your bed and walk? But the one who was healed did not know who it was Jesus had withdrawn a multitude being in that place. Afterward, Jesus found him in the temple and said, see, you have been made well. Sin no more, lest a worse thing comes upon you. Very important. Not every sickness is simply because of a sin, but without sin, there is no sickness. And without sin, there is no suffering. That's very important. So it may not be necessarily that you did something that is sinful that brought a sickness on you, but it is also possible that if you do something sinful, the, the, the result of sin is sickness and premature death. It's possible. So this is why you have to have discernment. You can't go, oh, it's not me, or oh, it's always me. No, you need to ask the Holy Spirit to show you the truth so that you can assume responsibility of what is your part in God's will and what do you need to confess, what do you need to repent of, and how do you participate with the healing process of God in your own life? Because the question is not anything other than will you as an individual participate with the process of God's healing in your life? Will you as an individual partner with the process of becoming a disciple of Jesus? Will you partner with that process? Because I cannot partner with you. I cannot do that for you as much as I would love to, as much as I'm, uh, you know, I'm praying that you do that, as much as that we would love to support doing that. I cannot do that for you. That is your responsibility to partner with the healing process of God in your life. So Jesus is saying, sin no more, lest a worse thing come on you. And, and this is, by the way, this is a warning. We have to understand that Jesus is not okay with sin. Jesus loves sinners. Jesus is not okay with sin. Why? Because sin destroys people. Sin is dehumanizing, and the wages of sin is death. In fact, Jesus tasted death for every man so that we wouldn't have to taste and experience death as death is. So he's against sin. Jesus, this is important, Jesus would rather die than live without you. Think about that. Jesus would rather die than live without you. I mean, that to me is really good news. 
that, that to me is like, man, thank you. <laughs> I appreciate that. You know. Um, okay. Verse 15, the man departed and told the Jews that it was Jesus who had made him well. For this reason, the Jews persecuted Jesus and sought to kill him because he had done these things on the Sabbath. This is the, this is the thing. They are misinterpreting the law. He is fulfilling it. It's, it's many times people who don't do anything that misinterpret people who do do it. <laughs> Why are you going to Haiti? Where are you going? Why you got to go to Africa? Uh, a lot of people need help here. That's awesome. You can sow into our grocery project. That's amazing. I mean, really happy. But many times, people that don't do nothing criticize people who do something. Yeah. Okay. So they want to kill Jesus for healing a man because the man took his, his mat and he left. He, uh, where, who, who, follow with me. Who did he leave? He left the sick folks. Listen to me. You got to get up and leave. The smartest thing that I did is I got up and left. I didn't take a vote. I didn't say, I wonder if my old friends like that. I wonder if you feel me. I don't care who you feel or don't feel. You don't have to feel me. I got up and I left. Get up and leave. Don't be surrounding yourself with sick people. When God heals you, get out. The first thing he said is rise up, take up your bed, and walk. Get out of there. Get out of there. Now, this is a God that loves those folks, that sent an angel to those folks, that healed those folks, but you got to get up out of there. You got to get up out of there. You got to get up out of there. All right, now we're almost done. But Jesus answered them. This is going to really drive them crazy. My father has been working until now, and I have been working. <laughs> it's like, whoa. It's a Sunday. It's like, it's like yeah, I'm working. And they're like, ah. And, and, and the, whole, the whole thing with this, this is classic, is the whole purpose of rest is restoration. The purpose of me resting is not to become more religious and more I'm better than you because I chill for a day. No, the, the, that's not the purpose. The purpose is that you would learn to rest because you trust that you would let God refill you so that you would live the next six days powerfully, not worn out, not broken down, not on the side of the road you know, with a flat tire, but that you would be well, that you would be full, that you would be healthy, and, and that you would be productive. So the whole purpose of rest is restoration. So he's literally fulfilling the law by bringing supernatural restoration to a dude who's completely stuck. Yes? Are you guys with me? This is good news. And you know, this guy didn't have a lot of faith. This guy didn't ask for healing. This guy didn't even seek Jesus. He wasn't, you know, going on mission trip, tithing, being a good Christian, part of the worship team, breaking down, setting up, doing the sound. He, this guy, he's just stuck somewhere, and Jesus sees him. Isn't that good that we serve a God that sees us? I'm telling you, when Jesus found me, I, I was not looking for Jesus. There was a problem in my life that opened my heart 
to realize that I needed him. And I got born again. The Lord said to me, Adam, you really, really need me. That's how I got saved. And I believed him. <laughs> so anyway, therefore the Jews sought all the more to kill him. This is the second time they emphasize they want to kill him. It's like, and, and what does he do? He heals a lame guy, a, a, a guy with no name, a guy that nobody knows about and nobody cares about. And he heals that guy and they want to kill him. Like, look at how wicked they are. This is crazy. But he also said that God was his father, making himself equal with God. Then Jesus answered and said, Most assuredly, I say to you, the son can do nothing of himself, but whatever he sees the father do, for whatever he does, the son does also in like manner. The father loves the son and shows him all things that he may himself do, and he will show him greater works than these, that you may marvel. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to end there, make a few comments on that. But this is a really interesting verse. This is a verse that is very um, uh, important to me personally as, as a person. Uh, it says, for the son, the father loves the son and shows him all things. So the word that the Greek uses is, is, a, is phileo. So there's four Greek words for love. And agape is like the, uh, in, the eternal, unconditional, like you're broken down on the side of the road, I love you, love. But the phileo love is a benevolent affection that grows over time. It is a love that grows. It is a love that is reasonable because the person that you are loving loves you back and loves you well. Okay, check this out. So an expression of that love is revelation, insight, knowledge, understanding. Okay, so God is not like, he's not walking around, oh, I love you, oh, you're so great, oh, I love you, I love you, I love you. But, but, when God reveals something to you, he goes, son, I love you. Amen. Son, let me, let me put my arm around you, son, let me help you. Let me show you something. I love you. I want, I want your eyes to see. I want your ears to hear. I want to show you what is next in your life and in your ministry because I love you. That to me is very meaningful. And we are in a place in our life where we really need God to show us. All of us, not just you, me, all of us. We need God to be the leader, to be the one who leads, to be the one who guides, to be the one who provides, to be the one who protects. Some of us, we, we are in situations where we really need the Lord. Like it's, it's not like, like maybe like I really need the Lord because we're going to be in situations <laughs> that are less than favorable. And, and so we, we need in places that are hostile. And, and, and so we need the Lord in our life. And also the more options you get, the more dangerous it is. So you need the Lord. So, so if you're like, you got nothing, you need the Lord, you have everything, you really need the Lord. We just need the Lord together collectively. This is the position of 
all of our lives, that we really need him. And we need him to really show us what is next. And this is how he communicates and expresses his love for us by revealing things to us. Let's remember these things. Jesus didn't ask a useless question. Do you want to be made well? It's not a useless question. Here's another question. Are you willing to partner with the healing process? Are you willing? Are you willing? Finally, when God reveals something to you, he is telling you that he loves you. Thanks for listening to the Rescue Church podcast. For more information, visit rescuechurch.tv slash invite.